Take your Bibles this morning, go to the book of Mark again, Mark chapter 6, and we'll read together just a few verses in Mark 6 from 7 to verse 13, and then we'll read just one verse at the very end. Um, Mark 6, beginning of verse 7, you should have a little note sheet like this somewhere around you on the seat beside you, maybe there's one in front of you or something. Uh, You can take notes if you want or just keep score where we're at and how close we're getting to being finished. Uh, Don't be alarmed by the fact that there are five points on there. There's really two that I want to emphasize and a couple that I want to just briefly mention, but there are five points on there, so don't be too alarmed. Beginning at verse 7 of Mark 6, it says this, And he, being Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever or wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And then flip over the page to uh, verse number 30. And it says this, that the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in a boat to seclude a place by themselves. What I want to talk about this morning is the fact that we are on a mission. It's our, we have been commissioned by God and sent out into the world with a message of hope. Just as surely as Jesus was sent into the world with a message from the Father about our salvation, (laughs) repentance and faith and hope and forgiveness and all of that, we have been sent out. And the apostles, the disciples, sorry, up until this point, have kind of enjoyed this time of walking along beside Jesus, listening to the things he's done, watching him as he's healed the sick and cast out demons and cleansed lepers. And in a big sense, all of their involvement, their discipleship has become something of a spectator sport. They're watching from the sidelines. They're observing Jesus. They're hearing all the things that he has said and all the things that he does. And he's, they're watching And it just struck me as I was working through the passage and thinking about what the message of God would be for us for today is there is a great danger. There is a problem that we are confronted with in 21st century Western Christianity is that from us, missions and discipleship is in danger of becoming a spectator sport. We're watching from the sidelines. We're not really engaged. We're not involved. We're going about our lives. Christ has become a part of our lives. And for some of us, that part is almost whittled down to we go up and we show up at church on Sunday and we do our Christian thing on Sunday morning and then we go home on Sunday afternoon and we go back to our lives and our worlds and we carry on living just like the world lives. But we've sort of got our, 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 our get-out-of-heaven card free and we keep a good hold of that, but that's really all it has an effect on our lives. But you know what? Jesus Christ has sent us on a mission. 
Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means being on a mission for Jesus Christ. And these 12 disciples, and and as I thought about the passage and their situation and where they were at, I thought, you know, Lord, they weren't ready. Come on, they've just only been with you for a while. They haven't received the Spirit of God yet, and yet you're sending them out on this mission. And what Jesus wanted to get them to understand was that their life as disciples and eventually as the apostles and for all of us as the churches, it is not a spectator sport. We are actively involved. Part of our discipleship is to carry on the mission that Jesus has set before us. So I want to give us four or five things this morning. It's simply this. Number one, Jesus sends us out in submission to his authority. That's the first one there. I'll repeat them later. Don't worry. Jesus sends us out with a great message, number two. Number three, Jesus sends us out in community. He sends us out two by two. We're not going out by ourselves. We're going out as part of a larger, greater community. There's a great benefit in that. The third thing is, or fourth thing is, that Jesus sends us out, fourthly, with prayer. Sorry, in faith. (laughs) Prayer comes into it, I I assure you, but he's sending us out in faith. And the fifth thing is, and this is the tough one for a lot of us, Jesus sends us out expecting persecution. That's the reality of the disciples' life. But I really want to focus on just a few of those. So, first of all, very briefly, we'll talk about Jesus sends us out in submission to his authority. If you notice in verse 7, he says, He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and he instructed them, and so on. Jesus was their Lord and their Master. And the, the sending out of his disciples into the world was not a suggestion. He didn't gather them around and say, okay, guys, you know, Peter and James, you go that way. Oh, you're busy. Okay, well, you know, never mind. Uh, uh, hey, tell you what, how about John and Andrew? You go that way. Oh, you got something on this week. No, no. He didn't send them out as a suggestion. He sent them out with a commission. It was an authoritative sending of his disciples into the work. And the reality was that those men... As they were sent out, they were going out in in submission and obedience to the will of God. Now, we often joke about how the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, they're not ten suggestions, they're ten commandments. But guess what? Jesus is no less of a Lord and no less of a master, and the commission that he has put us on is not a suggestion. It is a command. It is a commission by our Savior, by our Lord. And when we go out in response and obedience to that, we're going out in submission to his authority over us as our Lord. One of the great problems I have is I look around Christian church in the day we're living in and compare it to some of the ways, some of the books I'm reading about the great old guys, the Puritans and that, is we have changed our idea of what Lord means. We've watered and whittled and shaped and shifted it right down to where he is something like a cross between my best friend and a really good mentor. But you know what? That's not really the way it is. Yes, he is my older, greater brother. Yes, in many ways, he is a mentor. But he is so much more than that. He is my Lord And when he commands me to go, I have no excuse and no exception. Remember the old Keith Keith Green song has been rattling through my head all weekend long. Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. I won't sing it for you. I won't put you through that. But that's the song that goes through my head. And you know what? That's exactly what it is. 
You say, hang on a second now. Now, so are you telling me all of a sudden we're supposed to pack up our stuff and go over and go to the jungles of Africa because, you know, I just don't do jungles. And I'm with you. I don't do jungles either. Is that what I'm saying? No, what I'm saying is Jesus has put us on a mission wherever he has already placed us. These disciples, they were going to the villages and the little towns all around Capernaum. Guess who had gone there before them? Jesus and some of the disciples. It says in Mark chapter 1, I think it's verse 39 or 40 there. He says he went to all the villages and towns surrounding in Galilee. So they were going behind Jesus. They were going where Jesus has already gone. And they were engaging themselves in the work that Jesus has already begun and have been a part of. Listen. Being sent out on a mission doesn't mean packing up your bags necessarily and going off to some faraway place to work and minister. Praise God, God has called Athanasius and Ruth to go up to Queensland and work. It's close to jungle, it's sort of the same, it's up in Queensland, and I'm glad God's called them there. Not that I wouldn't go, don't get me wrong, right? For some of us, that's what God's done. He's taken Deb's sister and brother and taken them over to New Guinea. He's taken the pirates to... Remind me. Indonesia, thank you. I always got that one wrong. He sent them to other parts of the world. I have friends that went out to uh, Burt Moss. My friend went to Africa 25 million years ago. And God calls some of us to go overseas, but he has called all of us to be on mission wherever he has placed us. I went through the other day and just started trying to figure out all the different people and occupations that we have in this church. And this is what I came up with. We have accountants and engineers, electrical technicians, medical industry, nurses and medical office assistants. We have teachers and students and housewives, builders, carpenters, plumbers, posture cabinet makers, uh, salesmen, artists, illustrators. We have retirees and schoolies, automotive detailers, financial and bankers, factory and metal workers, moms and homeschoolers. All through this church, what does that mean? That means that God has placed missionaries in every single one of those locations. You say, where has God sent me? Where are you? Well, you know, I go to an office building every Sunday, every Monday morning, and I work with a bunch of people who have no interest in God. Praise God, God's put you there. You know, I go to a job site where every second word starts with the letter F, and it's a horrible, miserable place to work. You know what? God has put you there. You say, I'm a teacher working in a school where they know I'm a Christian, but I've got to be so careful what I say. Praise God, he has put you in a mission field. You say, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I want to go serve the Lord, but I got four little rugrats all around me, and and they occupy all my time. What am I going to do? Praise God, he's put you into a mission field. Raise four little kiddos for Jesus. Teach them the gospel. They are your mission field. They might be the mission field of your neighbors next door. It might be the mission field of wherever God puts you. You're a tyree. I know some, one of us goes out and plays the bowls. He has an opportunity as he's rolling the balls to share his faith in Christ. It's not about where God sends you. It's where God's put you already. Maybe one day God will call you to a far off land to be a missionary. And it will be a thrill for us to send you there. But in the meantime, God has placed you in a mission field right where you are. And in submission to his authority, we step out, we open our mouths, and we begin to speak. Which brings me to my second point. Jesus has sent us out with a message. You see, I don't see that in this passage too clearly, but look what he says. In verse number 11, he says, Any place that does not receive you or 
listen to you as you go off. And so on, shake the dust off your feet. And it says in verse number 12, and they went out and preached that men should repent. Listen, we have been sent out with a message. It isn't just to go and do good work. Beyond there is peace in Europe. Far beyond there's a new present. Far beyond such and such happened over there. Far beyond the Olympics and all that other stuff. We were watching this movie last night called uh, The Eichmann Show about how they filmed the trial of Adolf Eichmann and how there was competing news stories. And one story was about Yuri Gagarin on the moon and one story was about the Bay of Pigs thing in, in Cuba and America. And these two producers and their director... As they're filming this trial of the century about Adolf Eichmann, they're figuring out how they can work the news story so they can get more coverage and more airtime. And they said, as soon as something bigger happens, all the attention fades off. You know what? We have the greatest message, the greatest story the world has ever known and will ever know, the story of Jesus Christ and his love. We go out and we preach the gospel of Christ crucified. We preach Christ Jesus crucified for our transgressions. We preach about the sin of man. But we also preach about Christ raised for our justification. The fact that we have hope, we can be declared right with God. That's the message we have been given. God has sent us on a mission. He has called us and sent us authoritatively. He sent us out with a great message of freedom, of hope, and of life. Something wrong when all the trinkets and the trash and the little bits of stuff of this world push aside the message of the gospel. God has put you where you are. I know for some of you, I know for a fact that some of you are really struggling with where God has placed you and you're heartbroken and you're grieving because it's a hard time. I get it. I worked in an office room. Uh, this is back when John was first born. And uh, there, there, was, there was four or five Christians in that company. And I sat beside the one girl who was determined to get these Christians. Every little mistake I made I tried to be an accountant. Some things I should not try and do, and being an accountant is one of them. And, and every mistake, every balance sheet, ledger, debit thingy in the wrong column or whatever I was supposed to be doing, I got wrong. She got up and she walked into the controller's office and closed the door, and he was a Christian, and she made sure he knew all the stuff I was doing. And I hated that job for a while. And I realized that God had put me right beside that girl Because she needed to see Christianity in action. She needed to see the message lived out in my responses and reactions and the way I responded to her. She needed to see Christianity fleshed out. And look, wherever God has placed you, there are people around you that need to see Christ lived out. What did Judas, not Judas, what did um, Thomas say? Unless I see the body, I will not believe. What's the world around us need to see? Let me try again in English. What does the world around us need to see? It needs to see the body in action. Christ lived out in hands of me. So if I make a mistake, is that it? I've blown it? I can never share my testimony again? No. It means you deal with it the way the Bible shows you. You admit your sin. You seek forgiveness. And you explain the grace of God that you can have forgiveness. God opens doors wherever you are to share the gospel. He has given us a tremendous message, the greatest message of all. Thirdly, he sends us out in community. I want you to notice in verse number uh, 7 there, he summoned the 12 and he began to send them out in pairs. Now, if you have an ESV or a New King James, I think NIV has the same, it'll say he sent them out two by two. 
Okay? You say, what's so significant about that? Why didn't you just go, hey, there's 12 of you go in that direction, or hey, three this way and four that way, and maybe you go over your, on your own over there? And, and No. He very particularly said, you and you together that way. You and you together that way. Why do you do that? Because the Old Testament sets up a great precedent for us. It tells us in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, that two or three witnesses were required in order to execute a guilty party. So if someone brings a charge, the charge is a capital offense. They cannot do it simply because one person said he did it. They had to have two or three witnesses. In Deuteronomy 19, the Bible says that by two or three witnesses are required to establish every matter. So a court case comes up, if only one witness sees the person who's done it and there's no other witnesses, the case is dismissed because the matter cannot be established in the mouth of one witness. So to Jesus and the Jewish culture he's living in, he sends out two witnesses in every direction to the villages and says, go and do these things, go and preach the gospel. And in two witnesses traveling together, the the subject of which they're talking about, which is Jesus, it's established because there are two of them. But for us, it's a little bit different. You say, I can't go with Bridie and hang out in her classroom I'd fit in on some levels, right? No doubt. But I can't hang out with her side by side and wait for a chance to share the gospel, and then we can both stand there and share it together. I can't go with Grant down to his office and wait, and two of us standing here and share the gospel at NAB in the middle of the banking thing. They'll look at me and think I'm trying to steal something, right? So we can't do that. But there's something different about their situation and ours that's tremendously important. They were sent out prior to the giving of the Holy Spirit in filling, sealing power. They went out two by two. I think that's one reason. The second thing that we have that they didn't have, we have the filling of the Spirit, number one. Number two, we have the promise of Jesus, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And Michelle goes to her job, and she's surrounded by people in her office that don't know Christ, and you think that she's on her own. How does that fit with this passage? Well, the reality is, Michelle is also part of a community of believers, and we are sent out as a community, not as one-by-ones in that sense. We have the community, the fellowship of God's people around us to encourage us and cheer us, and I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus looked at all those guys going out and said, if they go by themselves... They'll never make it. They'll get discouraged. They'll get hurt. They'll get worn down. They'll get tired. So he sent two to help them and comfort them and encourage them. And you know what? I started looking through my Bible yesterday afternoon, and I was just enjoying all these verses about why we are as part of a community, not as lone wolves out by ourselves in this world. Jesus has sent us out in a community. I want to give you a whole pile of reasons. Number one, the biggest and most important reason of all, Jesus has sent us out in his grace with other believers. I praise God for you guys. I give thanks that I have brothers and sisters in Christ. On one level, as elders, I'm so thankful to the Lord that I have done. It's God's grace that we have brother elders working together. It's his tremendous grace because he knows I could never make it on my own. And Daryl can't make it on his own. And, and all of us as individual believers will never make it on our own. But God has given us the community of believers to gather around and be with so we can make it and we can carry on the message. I want to give you a couple reasons why. 1 Corinthians 
3, 5, and 6, and 12, 4, and 5 talk about how we complement each other. You already heard about how great of an accountant I'm not, but Daryl's a great accountant. But if I asked Daryl to preach a sermon, he'd probably not have a good time with that. You asked me to prepare a budget for the church? Oh, you know, I'll go to Africa as a missionary. No problem now, right? I can do jungles if that's the case. We complement. He has strengths and he has weaknesses. I have strengths and a whole pile of weaknesses. And when we work together, they offset each other. The reason God puts us in a body like this as a community is so that each other's strengths and weaknesses can complement and help each other out. You need the body of Christ, and guess what? We need you. There's two things you've got to hold in tension when it comes to the community of the church. Number one, nobody is indispensable, and we need you. What does that mean? If you're not here, the church is not going to fall apart. We need you. You need to be here too. We complement each other. Number two, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, we are given a community to go out with and do mission with and to work with, to care for and support one another. It's a great encouragement. Uh, I send texts out all the time. I'm not a great phone caller. If, if you like to get phone calls from me, you've got to tell me because otherwise I'll just send you a text. And you know how encouraging it is to sit down at my desk and my little phone goes off, look over, Hey, it's Athanasius. Just thinking about you, praying for you. I hope your day is going well. Click. That's all it is. That's tremendous encouragement. That's support. That's care for the body. You say, a text is so impersonal. It's rude. It's all those things. But you know, for some of us, that is an incredible message of care and support one for the other. In Galatians 5.13, we're to serve one another. He put us in community that we might show the love of Christ to each other by serving each other and doing what the other person needs, helping each other out, coming alongside, putting an arm around someone's shoulders, finding out that they have a need and going and meeting it so that we can serve one another. He put us together in community to love and bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6 and verse 2. How is the world going to see that we are Jesus' disciples on a mission together? Because we all walk around with banners and tracts and pamphlets and hand out all that stuff. No, they're going to know that we are his disciples, that we are on a mission for him when they see us practically loving each other. There's something wrong with a church body that does not, cannot share that kind of love one with the other. We're in community in order to comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18, to comfort one another when we're downhearted and struggling. What does he tell us to do? To go along and strengthen the weak knees, to infuse hope, share a verse. It's amazing how encouraging it is to get a text and someone just says, I was thinking about you and here's a verse of scripture to encourage you for your day. And you get a little verse, it's like, wow, that, that fit my need. It's comforting. It's also, John was reading 1 John 1, 1 through 4. We have this great little game going. He reads a passage and I preach from him occasionally. And 1 John 1 through 4, what's in that verse? That we might have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with Christ. What's the reason that he sent us out in community? To have fellowship with one another, to share what we have in common. All those different professions and trades I mentioned a couple minutes ago. All of us have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. That's what fellowship means. 
comes from the word koinonia, commonality. What's our commonality? We have Christ in common. Jesus sends us out in community, two by two, and so on. He sent us out on a mission into the world as a community. Now, there's obviously a difference from then to now. I mentioned that already. They went out side by side. You might be alone in your office. That's why you need to come and be with the church and be a part of the community. Now, before I go any further, let me make one clarification. Did I just lay a legalistic trip on you that says you've got to be at every church service all the time, every day, out loud? No, I did not. If you come up to me and say, Nels, you laid a legalistic trip on us, you're going to get an earful because that's not what I mean. What I mean is you need the community of believers. There are obviously times when you can't make it to church. There are obviously times when we can't be at prayer with each other. But here's my other side of the argument, okay? Take a long look at your list of priorities. Set them out before the Lord. As you look at that list of priorities, ask the Lord to show you if you've got it worked out right. I'll be honest. Not that I'm lying the rest of the time, but I'll be honest. Sometimes I hear, you know, I need this time for my family. And I do a little thinking and a little investigation. I discover that, yeah, you need time for your family. You're working 70-plus hours a week, and the church is blamed because you don't have enough time for your family. And I think to myself, is it really the church's fault? Again, I'm not. Don't misunderstand me. I have not. I will not say you have to be in every church service, every prayer meeting, every gathering we have as a body. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when you can be here, you need to be here for the encouragement. If you can't be here, God bless you. We understand that. But listen, he sent us them out two by two. He has put all of us within a community of believers that are together to encourage, to strengthen, to cheer, to support, to encourage one another, to go out and help establish the message of what we have, which is Jesus Christ. So thirdly, it is in community. Fourthly, it's in faith. I know our time is going away, so we'll do this one quickly. Notice, he says, in verse number 8, he says, He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, to bear, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. What's his point? His point simply to the disciples was this. Listen, the one that has sent you out, the one is commissioning you into the work of the ministry and the mission field is fully able to take care of all your needs. And you look at that verse and think, now how does that work today? I don't know about you, but I have more than one shirt. I probably have more than two shirts, and I'm guessing I probably have close to 20 or 25 shirts. And I know I don't just have sandals. I got like three or four different pairs of shoes. I won't even ask the ladies to confess up how many pairs of shoes they own. So what do we do with a verse like this? How does that apply? Does it fit our culture? Does it fit our circumstance? And the answer is absolutely yes. It fits us simply because we go out in the same total dependence upon God that they do. 
And maybe the sphere is a bit different. Maybe we're not depending on God for our clothing and our homes and our shoes and so on, but we are in total dependence on God. And here's one or a couple of very simple ways. Number one, we are depending on God to work in us, changing us and making us fit for the mission field that God has put you in. You think... I can't open my mouth and share the gospel. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. I I haven't learned enough theology yet. Well, look at these 12 men. God sent them out. And God used them. And they preached repentance. And they did all kinds of things. They came back and reported to Jesus all that he had done. They had done. Listen, God will take you if you have an attitude of availability an attitude of submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords, a desire to be in his word. If you open your mouth and stammeringly tell somebody in dependence upon God, the simple message of the gospel, you think God can't use that? Yes, he uses PhDs and theologians and all that stuff. Praise God, he does. He also uses illiterate carpenters and cabinet makers and plumbers. He uses guys who don't know Genesis from Revelation, who simply trust the Lord. I think I told you a story about the man who was standing in the um, Surrey Music Hall Gardens, the great big glass building in, in England. And he was working on something in the back corner, and he didn't know that a preacher had come in the other end of the building. And the preacher had rented out the Surrey Music Hall Gardens, I think it's called, um, and he wanted to try out the acoustics. This is the day before uh, electronic amplification. And Charlie leaned back and he bellowed with a great voice, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It's Charles Spurgeon, of course. And the little guy in the corner who was illiterate, didn't know, couldn't read, he was totally convicted, got up, he ran home, and he got saved. And Charles Spurgeon got to sit at his deathbed a few years later. And this poor man didn't know much He couldn't read. So what he did was he went through and he just counted the pages of the Bible because he wanted to be close to God. And he had shared his faith with everybody he met. And he saw souls come to the Lord. It's not about your education or the lack of it. It's about our willingness to go in total dependence upon God and trust him to work in us, to change us and make us fit for his use. In one of the commentaries I was reading about Mark, I actually highlighted a big orange band across the commentary. It said that you will never be fully ready for the ministry that God is calling you to. You won't. And you think, why is God throwing me in the deep end? Because he happens to be standing in the water doing this. I'll catch you. We go in faith that God will work in us. We go in faith that God will work through us. And we go in faith that that God will supply our every need. Every single one. You're sitting here this morning and you think that all that you have is because of what the work that you do, the job you have, the education and training and circumstances that you're in. If you think that's why you have all those things in your backyard and all those things in your garage or your house or wherever it is, your vacation home, let me assure you without one hesitation, you have not one thing that God didn't give you and God can take it away like that. You don't believe me? Read Job. In a day, he lost it all because God took it away. 
Be absolutely sure that in faith, God supplies your need. You could have the highest paying job in the whole Western Hemisphere, and God supplies every penny, and he can take every one of them away. We go in faith. We have been sent on a mission with a great message. We have been sent on a mission under Jesus' authority. We have been sent on a mission as part of a community, and we have been sent on a mission in faith, totally depending on God. Listen, you don't draw a breath that God doesn't give you. I got it in my back of my Bible. I'll show you. I keep this here just to remind myself on a regular basis. You can't preach at all without God's help. And there is a little little ditty. I think it's Jay Packer came up with this one. It's aptat. Admit that you can do nothing apart from Christ. That's a starting point. Number two, pray for help. You definitely need God's help through the Holy Spirit. Number three, trust a promise of Scripture. I get up here every Sunday morning trusting that if I proclaim Christ, teaching, admonishing, warning, that God will do the work, not just in your lives, but in my life too, and will change us. Thirdly, we act. We step out in faith. We do what God has given us to do. You walk past that guy in your office building and you see him again and you know they're struggling, that you know they need to hear the message of the gospel and you turn around in quiet submission and just take a moment to share it with that person. You step out in faith. You act. At the end of the day, we get done and we give thanks to God. A-P-T-A-T. Admit, pray, trust, act, and thank. All of ministry is done in complete and total dependence upon Christ. We have one more point, but I just I won't, I won't go there. He sends us expecting persecution. In the context of the story, I told you a couple weeks ago how the beginning of the story has the disciples being sent out. The middle part of the story is John the Baptist's uh, execution and death and all the circumstances that and the end of the story is when they come back so mark uses something called an inclusio or a sandwich he takes one story splits it apart and puts another story in the middle to make a point about that middle story and the point the disciples are going to have to learn because all but one will suffer a violent death is discipleship and obedience to christ expects persecution i'm not going to go into any more than that we'll pick it up some other time what then shall we do what do we do with all this Number one, we must heed the call of Jesus to go. You think for a moment in your sphere of influence, your job, your home, your neighborhood, you can think of one person right now, all right, that needs to hear. Number two, we change our heart regarding our being sent. The danger is week by week, we come into a, a church like this or wherever else you fellowship, and you hear a Bible message, you hear the message of the glory of Jesus Christ being preached Sunday by Sunday. The danger is that we become a spectator audience. We just sit there and we watch, we sip our Cokes and munch our popcorn and we watch the whole story and we go out and nothing changes. That's the danger. We need to change our hearts regarding the fact that we have been sent in a mission by Jesus Number two, number three, we submit ourselves to his sending and we must obey. He is our master and we are his disciples. But look, it's not a legalistic thing. Just interject here. God in his grace is with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. My spirit will be with you. 
tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you will go out to Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel and share with the nations. And what did the disciples do? They went back to Jerusalem. They waited until they filled with power of the Holy Spirit, and they went out and steadily throughout the course of the book of Acts, they worked their way out into the uttermost parts of the earth, preaching the gospel. We know Thomas made as far as India, other places, other Traditions record disciples going all over the world, preaching the gospel, the known world at the time. We obey. We go to wherever God has already placed us. We go with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We go in community with the believers that God has surrounded us with. We go in faith, trusting God to work through us, work in us, and to supply our needs. But we also go in full realization that it will, we will encounter persecution sooner or later. Jesus' disciples must be on a mission with Jesus and for Jesus. The question remains, are we? Well, let me swing it around. Will you? Will I? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. We'll give thanks. Loving Father, we give you thanks again for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you again that he is the great apostle and the great high priest of our confession. Father, we thank you that he gave us a tremendous example He showed us exactly what it meant. He came in submission and obedience to you. Father, he came with the greatest message of all, the message of the kingdom of God, of faith and repentance. Father, he came working alongside of you. He came in that sense, Lord, in a community. Father, we thank you and we rejoice in that. Father, we also know that he came trusting himself into your care, as 1 Peter tells us. He came in faith too. And Father, just like John the Baptist and just like Jesus who went to the cross and suffered unspeakable persecution, he did it for us. Father, help us. We plead with you. Father, you have put us on a mission. You have given us a great message. You have surrounded us with a great company of believers, not just those who have gone on before us, Father, but you have given us this family of Casey Bible Church. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have entrusted this to us. Father, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to fill us, to seal us. Father, to empower us and enable us, to give us the words to say, to open the doors, Father, to do the work. Father, we thank you so much that it does not depend on us that others are saved. But Father, it requires us to go out and open our mouths and share the gospel. Father, for the engineers and the accountants and the medical workers, the students and the teachers. Father, for the financial workers. Father, for all the different trades and occupations and professions that are standing in this room. Father, help us to open our eyes and see the world as you see it, to see the ones around us as you see them. Father, to overcome the fear, to step out in trembling and in faith, 
to speak a word for Jesus. Father, thank you also for this community of faith. Father, I give you thanks for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are standing here this morning and those that can't be here for different reasons. Father, bless them, strengthen them, strengthen us, O God. Encourage us in your word. Father, help us to do the work that you have called us to do. And Father, we plead with you these things and we give you thanks in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.